if you're visiting with us, let me say welcome. I'll tell you just a little bit about who we are. We are a, a, a gospel-driven, mission-centered family of believers. That's kind of our, our statement there that we talk about ourselves. We, we try to make sure that we do everything and, and are always driven uh, by the gospel. We try to be centered in all things and the missions that we do to the world and, and at the end of it, we're, we're a family, and uh, we love each other very well, uh, so, so good morning, my friends. And I want to invite with you, as always, to gather around the Word of God. That's the central part of what we do together on Sunday mornings, is, is we as the people of God gather around His Word. Um, and if you're new to our community, you may not know that we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew. And we, we put a very high teaching, our value on the teaching of the Scriptures um, and we don't think you need to hear a lot of opinions. What you need to hear is the Word of God. And so we've been reading Matthew together, and we really explain it as we go, or a fancy word for that is exposit that. We, we really try to go through it. And, and last week was Easter, and, and so we got away from our kind of series for a little while uh, to, to read about the resurrection. But, but this week we're back where we left off. And uh, we've been reading together the part of Matthew that, that has the sermon on the Mount. And, and really, it's the greatest sermon that's ever preached. And in, in the Sermon on the Mount, it is, it's like Jesus is uniquely bringing a lot of convicting statements. And uh, all of his teachings seem to expose our sins. And if you remember from a few weeks back, what, we had a quote from C.S. Lewis where, where C.S. Lewis said that reading the Sermon on the Mount was a lot like getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer. I just was, it was always reminding us of, 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 of our shortcomings. Um, and it isn't really at, at, at its core. It's a sermon delivered to show you your need for a Savior. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount shows time and time again the righteous requirements of God are greater than, than really you ever thought that they were. And it's impossible to hear the Sermon on the Mount and, and to rightly understand the Sermon on the Mount and to walk away from hearing it and think to yourself, boy, am I a good, righteous person. When you rightly hear the teachings of Jesus, you know that in the Sermon on the Mount, you know you're a wretched sinner, and you know you have need for God's mercy. And listen, like he kind of starts the Sermon on the Mount that way. You remember the Beatitudes, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's how Jesus starts the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who have nothing in their spirit to boast about. They recognize they, they are laid bare before the Lord. They're, they're poor in spirit. And because you're poor in spirit, you're totally dependent upon the mercy of God. And that's right where Jesus wants you. Knowing that you're a sinner who is saved by grace and you live your life in this thankful dependence upon him. That's kind of where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And we left off on our reading two weeks ago, and if you remember, the last time we were in the Sermon on the Mount, it was about hypocrisy, something that, that really kind of struck us all. And, and really, it was hypocrisy in three ways. It was, it, was, it was hypocritical giving, it was hypocritical prayers, and it was hypocritical fasting. And really, in all those, it was losing God as the focus and, 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 and doing those kind of disciplines to try to earn the favor of other people. And that's what made it hypo hypocritical. And today's teaching is going to be like right knitted up against right the next thing that happens after that hypocrisy. And, and I don't think it's accidental that Jesus is going to be linking these two topics. In today's reading, Jesus is going to be talking about greed and wealth. And I, I think the reason that they're kind of together like that is that when you find hypocrisy in religion, 
When you find hypocritical people in religion, you often find greed. How many TV preachers who practice their righteousness before men and are hypocritical in that way, how many of them also siphon people's money to become wealthy? I think hypocrisy flows naturally into greed and into selfishness. And many, many Christians come to church hoping Jesus will be the Lord of their lives, but they have zero desire for Jesus to be the Lord of their finances. And it's not far off from from hypocrisy, actually. The two do go together. That being said, uh, let's get to our reading for today and see if we can understand what Jesus is really saying when he talks about storing up our treasure in heaven. Um, So I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. We're going to read Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Let's pause and do so now. Uh, Father, we do come to your teaching in the Sermon on the Mount here And uh, we ask that you would quicken our hearts to understand the words of Jesus, uh, that you would correct us, that you would convict us, that that you would um, really inspire us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Okay, let's read together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither Moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever, and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In order to get a good grasp upon this section of reading this morning, we'll take it one verse at a time and see if we can um, do our work to make it make sense. And so we'll start with verse 19. We read Jesus say, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In this illustration of Jesus that he's going to give us this morning, there are two treasuries that he is imagining. And, you know, when I say treasury, I'm talking about a place where you store your treasure. Two places available where you can do this. Now, each of us has to decide for ourselves which of these two treasuries we are going to put our treasure in. There is a treasury on earth, and there is a treasury in heaven. And really, the suggestion is you have to make the choice. Where are you going to put your treasure? And, and let's discuss what we mean here by treasure, Okay. The word in, uh, in, in the Greek that is used there for treasure is thesauros, and, and it's a word that means you know, basically an abundance of treasure, thesauros, and, and, and it's where we get the word thesaurus. You know what a thesaurus is, right? A, a thesaurus is, is where you find a bunch of words listed out in, in synonyms, and so you want to know what, what word is kind of like big, and you go there, and it's got like huge, gigantic, you know, that's your thesaurus, right? So a thesaurus is, is an abundance of words. That's the logic there, right? A thesaurus is a, it's a treasury 
of words. And so, uh, you know, your treasure, therefore, would, would be the abundance of your wealth, right? It, it would be all that you have. Now, think about this. Banks were not really a thing in Jesus' day. They didn't have banks. Now, they didn't have safety deposit boxes. And if you had an abundance of wealth, the only way to protect it was to hide it. And so people would go, like, into their homes, and they had dirt, dirt floor homes, and, and they would bury their, their wealth in the ground in their homes oftentimes. But because it was such a common practice, everyone knew they would just wait for you to leave and, and go to church. And they would come in and they would ramsack your home. They would dig up your floor and they would be able to steal all your treasure. But the point that Jesus is making is um, whatever you do with your treasure on this earth, it will always be decaying and rusting and being stolen, always, it's a guarantee. Even if you had your money in the bank last year, it's worth more today. There, there, there is just this natural decay to it. All of creation is subject to, to what's happening in, in, in this decay. In, in all of creation, we see a pattern of, of birth and life and death and decomposition. No earthly treasure will last. Plus, as the saying goes, you can't take it with you. Right? Y'all heard that before? You know, there's a story about a man uh, who tried to take his money with him. He, he wanted to be buried with, with his wealth, or at least portions of it. I think he had a fear, that, you know, maybe I'll need it when I'm dead. And, and so he called uh, three of his closest friends who just happened to be his pastor, his doctor, and his lawyer. And anytime a story starts like this, you know it's a joke, right? Uh, <laughs> And, and the man asked his good friends to do him a favor. He said, listen, I know my days are, are, are close to coming to an end. And, and, and he presented each of his friends with $50,000 cash in an envelope. And he instructed his friends, he said, this is what I want you to do. You know, when, when I'm dead and, and I'm about to be lowered into the grave, what I want you to do is wait till the very last moment, and I want you to drop these envelopes worth of $50,000 down in there so that, that I'll have them with me should I need them. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, what, what were they going to say? The friends agreed, and the day of his death came. Uh, the pastor and the doctor and the lawyer, they all showed up like they said that they would, and they all had their envelopes in their hands. And, uh, and they all did as the man asked, as it came time for his coffin to be lowered down into the grave. Uh, at last minute, they all dropped their envelopes into the coffin. But as they started departing, the, uh, the pastor said to the others, he said, uh, guys, the guilt is killing me. I, I have to confess, uh, I took $10,000 out of the envelope and, and I gave it to the church. I, I, I just couldn't let all that money go into the grave. To which the doctor said, well, since you brought it up, um, we needed some repairs at the clinic, and uh, I took $30,000 out of the envelope before I threw it in. Uh, he's dead. It seemed a waste to throw all this money just into the dirt. And I got to tell you, the lawyer, being the upstanding man that most lawyers are, was visibly shocked. He was just shocked by their behavior. He said, I can't believe you guys. You're supposed to be his, his pastor and his doctor. How could you do this to him? I'll have you know that my envelope contained a personal check for $50,000, the full amount. Honestly, I mean, you can devise all the schemes that you want, but there's no way to take it with you. 
And the surface meaning of Jesus' teaching is simple. No earthly treasure will last. You can't take it with you. So what do we do? Well, verse 20, we'll read that together. He says this, But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus' solution is you invest in a different treasury. Where our investments have eternal consequences, and, and, and in doing so, your treasure can last forever. We just have to put it in the right place. We have to store our treasure in heaven, metaphorically, that is. The idea is you can invest in the kingdom of God. So, so let me stop and let me ask a, a quick question. Is anyone feeling cynical? I'm, I'm certain in my heart that, that many of you are, because uh, whenever we start to talk about money, we grow cynical because money for, for many of us is, is our idol. And, and if you're new here, let me say this. I'm sure you don't like sermons about money because no one does, right? But as a church, we are committed to preaching just kind of straight through the text and to, and to cover all the things that Jesus teaches. And we're really, we're just walking straight through Matthew and I don't know if you realize this, but in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about money 109 times. In the book of Mark, it's 57 times. In Luke's gospel, it's 94 times. In John's gospel, it's 88 times. Jesus talks about money more than almost any subject. And you know why, right? It's the same reason that you become cynical when you hear preachers stand up and talk about money. Because many of you have made money your idol. And if anyone gets near your precious, boy, do you get defensive. You see, Jesus teaches us that where your treasure is, there's your heart also. That's why you don't like sermons about money. They break our hearts. We say they're ridiculous because they're about our treasures. But in this section of Scripture, Jesus asks us some clear questions. What do you put your faith in? Is it God or, or money? Because you can't do both, according to Jesus. But that opens up a whole lot of questions, doesn't it? Like when you start talking about our money. What is Jesus saying about our possessions? Is, is Jesus condemning all personal wealth? Is, like, is saving for a rainy day, is that prohibited? Is the will of Jesus that we, that we sell everything we own? Is that what Jesus is saying? Do we, have, do we all have to live like hobos and, and like push shopping carts down the street and sleep under the overpasses? Is that what the call is? Let's look a little deeper. First, I want to take you with me to Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. Uh, let's read it together. It says this. Beware... Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Okay, you understand that? Beware lest we say in our heart that, that our own power and the might of our own hands have, have come about this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Two things real quick. Scripture teaches that your wealth is not the result of your power and your might. Instead, we're to understand that, that, that it is God who gives us the power somehow to get wealth. 
God, God gives power to get wealth. Now, now, let me stop by saying this. This is not a health and wealth sermon, right? I'm not saying that, that it's God's desire to make all of you wealthy, because it's not. But I am saying that God does make some of us wealthy for his purposes. And in doing so, that it is God who gives that person the ability to make wealth. And, and if that is his will, that you be wealth, wealthy, so be it. Okay, he's given you the power to make that wealth. Now, the next place I want you to go with me is 1 Timothy 6, 17. Okay, we'll look there. And, and this, is, this is what Paul says to Timothy about wealthy people. Okay, he says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That word haughty, it's kind of um, arrogant, you know, right? Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but rather set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So if you can keep this verse up, I'd appreciate that. Paul tells Timothy to instruct the rich to be humble and to not put their hopes in the uncertainty of riches. This is, this is actually exactly what Jesus is teaching in here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about treasure in heaven versus treasure on earth. It's, it's where you're putting your, your hope at in your money. And, and really he says, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything to what? To enjoy. You see that part? Don't put your hope on riches, but on God who gives us everything to enjoy. What Paul does not say here is give it all away and go live under the underpass. He says realize where your riches came from and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Y'all ever heard the word ascetic? Y'all know what an ascetic person is? A-S-C-E-T-I-C, ascetic. An ascetic is someone who lives a lifestyle where, um, where they try to abstain from all kinds of pleasure. It's kind of like self-denial. Like we're going to deny ourselves any pleasure. And, and the purpose of that is for uh, like, um, their, their soul, the purpose of, of pursuing spiritual goals. It, it's a total self-denial of pleasure if you're an ascetic. And here's what I'm telling you. Jesus is not calling us to be ascetics. Jesus is not calling us to, 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 to not enjoy things, right? That's not it. Enjoying your money is not sin. The Christian sexual ethic is one that delights in, in pleasures. It, it delights in the pleasures of the marriage bed. It, it delights in the wealth that God has given us. We, the Christian can delight in food and drinks and everything we have because we have it all. It's, it's all of ours to the glory of God. God is a God of great generosity. Look at, look at Proverbs 24.3. I think this is, this is really dealing with wealth too. I think it's important to say this. It says this. By wisdom a house is built. And by understanding, it's established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is not asceticism, is it? It's not saying you can't have things. It's not saying you have to be poor and sell everything and live under the underpass. Biblical wisdom results in building a house and filling its room and even having riches. And there's, and there's biblical wisdom in having savings for you. Did you know this? Look at Proverbs 21.20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. Excuse me. But a foolish man devours it. 
A wise man has treasure and oil in his home, but a fool is going to devour everything that he has. I, I say all this to suggest to you that, that laying up treasure in earth does not mean that you can't own things. It doesn't mean that you can't have nice stuff. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy what God has provided or save for your future or make wise investments. You can find biblical wisdom in all these things. But that does not change the central question of the text. Where do you put your trust? Do you trust in God or do you trust in, in money? How do you see this matter? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What I want to suggest to you is that you may not be clear-eyed about this issue. You may not be able to see your allegiance is honestly to money. Jesus gives us this illustration. And, and listen, out of context, I think this would be a really hard illustration to understand. Well, look at this illustration with me. It's, it's verses 22 and 23. It says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Um, well, in context, if you look at this verse, everything above it is about money, and everything below it is about money. But yet, I think a lot of people would read this and go, I don't, I don't see where the money stuff is, is happening or what it really means. Well, let me try to explain the best I can. The eye here is pictured as a window into the body. A lamp, but, but window works as well. If it's, if it's a clean window, all kinds of light comes in, right? If it's a filthy window, the light stays out. Obviously, it's just an illustration. But in this illustration, you want light inside of you, right? What keeps light out uh, is, is storing up your treasure. A, a bad eye is one... In this illustration, a bad eye is one that looks to money to meet its needs. A bad eye is one that is darkened by greed and worry. And, and so a bad eye stockpiles money trying to find security, just more and more and more. A bad eye says, what if the stock market crashes? I better put away an extra hundred grand here. And, and they take an extra hundred grand and put it back under the rug. Because if my nightmare comes true, the money will save me. A healthy eye is one that, that rightly sees money as a, a gift of God and, and wants to use that money for his kingdom purposes. A healthy eye knows that God is sovereign and that if your worst nightmare comes true, it will be God who meets your needs and saves you, not your money. A healthy eye is free from having to, to hoard money in order to create a feeling of security and because you trust God to take care of you in the future, you can actually bless others with what God has given you. A healthy eye can store up treasure in heaven. This section of Scripture can be summed up in two words, friends. It can be summed up in the word treasure and the word trust. Do you treasure God more than your money? And do you trust God more than your money? And for Jesus, it's binary. And you know what that word means. It's, it's either one or the other. You have to choose. It's either true or it's false. You cannot do both. In fact, Jesus says in verse 24, we'll put that up there. He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one 
and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The distinction in all of this is devotion. What are you truly devoted to? And if you're devoted to treasure, get this, if you're devoted to your treasure, what Scripture says and what Jesus says is you will end up hating God. And that hate will come to fruition when someone like me stands up here and reads to you what Jesus says about how tightly you cling to your money. And it'll create up inside of you animosity to the will and the desires of God. You will think the words of Jesus are foolish because you have another master which you are truly trusting in, which you would never let go of. So let me say this in trying to find clarity and resolution in a landing place this morning. It is not a sin to be rich. Rather, God gives us, as we read today in the scriptures, the power to obtain wealth. And it's not a sin to have a home full of nice things. Proverbs says a home full of possessions can be a sign of wisdom and knowledge. It is not a sin for you to save money. The Bible says that a wise man has treasure and oil at his home. It's not even a sin to enjoy your money. Glorify God and everything he has provided, right? It is not a sin to leave an inheritance to your children. Did you know that? The Bible says that a a good man leaves an inheritance for his children. It's not a sin for you to take care of your family with your money. Paul writes to Timothy and says, if anyone does not provide for his family in his home, he is denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. In all these things, God has provided finances for you to be faithful. But let me say this, it is a sin to be greedy. It is a sin to not confess that everything you have is from God. All that your wealth comes from the Lord. And it is a sin for you to think that if the world crumbles under some tragedy, what will save you is your treasure. It is a sin to worry about the future so much that you hoard what God has generously given you and you create stores and stores of money which you will never spend, piles and piles, and you love it and you you treasure it and it's your safety net but it's already rotting away. Inflation made it worth less today than it was last year. Solomon was was the richest man in the land. And as he looked at his wealth, at the end of his life, he said, vanity, vanity, all is, is vanity. It's empty. It's meaningless. And it's void in the end. Jesus says there are two places for you to store your treasures. And where you choose to store your treasure, there your heart will be also. You know, people say, we love the Lord, we just choose to place our treasure elsewhere. No, sir, Jesus says this is not true. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So I want to end today by asking you to consider what it might look like for you to put your treasure in an eternal treasury. Uh, Here's a great question. What might you invest in to further the kingdom of heaven in your community? Friends, I I call you to put your trust in God and to trust him with your treasure above all things. Um, Let's pray together this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for your teaching. We thank you for the teaching of Jesus.
We know that, that he spoke to, to the rich man and told him to, to take all that he had and, 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 gave it, uh, and give it away and, and then come back and see, pursue the, the kingdom of heaven. But he didn't say this to all people. He stayed in the house of Mary and Martha and he enjoyed uh, the things that they had in their house. And God, but I know some of us here are more like the, the rich man who may need to, to give away what we have in order to be at peace with you and your kingdom, Lord. So I pray that, that your spirit would bring conviction in us, that you would make us generous people with what we have, that we would recognize that we are but stewards of all the wealth that we own, and that we would use it in a way that is eternal to help build your kingdom. Christ, may you be honored in our life and with our finances. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.